I want to talk to you talkers about talking in this podcast. And I also want to talk to you non-talkers about not talking in this podcast. I want to talk about communication problems. Someone sent in this question and they said, how can I get my husband to talk more? Now you can go ahead and replace the word husband with any person that you want. The, the point here, how can I get the other person in this relationship to talk more? We're talking about communication problems, and that's typically how it's framed. When somebody comes to me in counseling, I will say something like this, how, how may I help you? And they will say, well, we don't communicate well, and that's how many counseling sessions begin. The truth of the matter is, is that they really don't have a communication problem, or maybe I could say it better. Communication problem is not their primary problem. That's not the main issue. Rarely does anyone have a communication problem as the central issue in their relationship because they can talk. And so the issue is deeper. And if you want to help them, if you want to help them in a comprehensive way, you have to do more than just address what is or is not coming off the tongue. You have to address what's going on in the heart. And so I want to do that in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to read it, you can do that freely. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, How Can I Get My Husband to Talk More? You see, most people can talk. That's why the issue is not, I can't talk. The problem is nearly always, I won't talk. And you want to think about that when you listen to people. When they say, I can't do something, you want to examine that word can't. And in many times, you'll need to replace it with the word won't. It's not a can't problem, but a won't problem. But more than that, poor communication is a symptom of a deeper issue. If you have a communication problem, then you will have to resolve the underlying heart issues that tempt a person to, to not talk. And so you can ask it this way, just a basic question. Do you have tongue trouble, communication problems? Well, notice what Jesus did in 645 of Luke. He tied the tongue to the heart. He said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever is happening or not happening on your tongue, you're either speaking or not speaking. You're either a talking head or you're a quiet person. But whatever that is, it's motivated by what's going on underneath in your heart. Jesus's half-brother said a similar thing when he talked about anger. Anger, too, is a form of communication. It is words coming off the tongue through the lips. But when James talked about anger, what's the cause of your anger? He said it's, it's what's going on in the heart. That's why it's vital that if you do not address the issue of communication at its source, your solutions will be mostly behavioral and superficial. As soon as you don't get what you want, for example, it won't matter what kind of behavioral techniques you have learned. Maybe you have learned some behavioral modification ideas. Maybe you've learned some tricks and tips on, on how to control your tongue behaviorally. Well, as soon as you get angry, as soon as you don't get what you desire because the tongue is under the control of the heart, you're more than likely are going to go off on somebody. And so again, you must address communication problems at the heart. 
And one of the ways that you can think about this, in fact, when someone comes to me and they talk about communication problems, specifically when they say that somebody won't talk or can't communicate, if they use that sloppy language, but they're saying the person won't talk, one of the things that I want to address is, is this person a universal mute? And what I mean by that is a universal mute is, is a person who doesn't talk in any context in their lives. And I would say 99.99999% of the time, they are not a universal mute because everybody gets juiced about something. Everybody is passionate about something. You pick the category, sports, hunting, farming, television, shopping, politics, kids, family, movies, makeup. Friends, physical fitness, vocation, and you can add to this list, but everybody has their favorite subject. Only the mute cannot talk, which means that if, if you say that he can't talk, well, the mute is universally silent in every situation. There'd be no subject that he could audibly talk about and no context in which he could speak. But if the problem is a won't issue, I won't talk, there is another option for the non-talker. He's not a universal mute, unable to talk in any context. You see, the quiet person, the non-talking person who can talk, that person needs to repent. There's hope here. It's a repentable issue. It's not a capacity issue or an organic problem. It is, it is spiritual in nature. It is a character issue. The good news for the person who is willfully choosing not to communicate is that he can find help. He can find hope through Christ. And that's where you want to start with this individual. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul advises us to imitate God as beloved children. Imitate God, he said. And there are many ways to imitate God. He has communicable attributes. He has communicable abilities things that he has given to us. For example, Jehovah is a speaking God, a communicating God. We want to imitate him. When we first catch a glimpse of God's activity in Genesis, guess what he was doing? He was speaking. He spoke throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he sent his son to speak to us. Our God is a speaking God. After Jesus left earth, he began to speak to us through his written word, and this is how he continues to engage us today through the word of God. God is a speaking God, and effectively communicating is one of the ways that we can imitate him. And so ask yourself this question, how are you imitating God in the area of communication? When we choose to be quiet when talking is the right response, we are in defiance of our Creator. Imagine if God copped an attitude and said, I know that I can speak, but I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to give you my words, but choose to let you wonder what I am thinking. We're going to play the guessing game. Get used to it. A non-talking God would lead to chaos. We would not know Him. We would not know how to relate to him. Our lives would turn into a chaotic mess because everyone would be doing what was right in his own eyes. Fortunately, God is a communicator. 
He is relentless in his communication. No one will be able to say, I didn't know. The Lord didn't tell me. We all will be without excuse because God is a speaking God. We are loved immeasurably by him. He cares for us. And so he carefully guides us by his word. Our paths are not shaped by our culture, but by the sovereign hand of God as he lets us know how to live in his world. But if a person chooses not to talk, his relationships would be dysfunctional. I talked about what a chaotic mess it would be if God ceased to be a speaking God. Well, if we stopped imitating him and we ceased to be communicating people, well, then our relationships would be dysfunctional. Just let me give you two examples. The quiet dad. The non-talking dad will not give his children cheerful, hope-filled, practical, and constructive communication. Guess what? When they become teens, they will distance themselves from him because he chose to be quiet. Or let's take the other end of communication. The harsh dad will have similar results. His children will cower before his brutish ways until they are old enough to find solace and encouragement in someone else who will love them, affirm them, and encourage them. The choice of poor communication habits will create dysfunctional children who end up rebelling rather than enjoying the nurturing of the warm, encouraging, practical, and guiding hand of a redemptive speaking dad. And so as you think about this idea of a person who will not talk, and because you know that the issue is deeper than what is or isn't rolling off his tongue, then you want to address the things that may be going on in the individual's heart. I call these communication inhibitors. I want to share a half a dozen of or so of these communication inhibitors with you because there can be many reasons why a passive person chooses not to talk or why a person decides to speak in an unkind way like the harsh dad that I was speaking of. And so I want to share a few of them because you want to come alongside them. You want to help them rather than just nagging them or annoying them or berating them because they don't talk. You need to address what is going on in the person's heart. So here's a few ideas for your consideration. It's a non-exhaustive list, but I want you to think about this list and perhaps you can identify with one or two of them, whether that's you who is not doing the talking or if it's someone else that you want to help in a redemptive way. These aren't in any particular order, but the first one I have listed here is stubbornness. The person who won't talk is a stubborn person. To be stubborn is a self-centered unwillingness. Stubbornness is self-centered unwillingness. This behavior is what we hope God will never do to us. It would be horrible for God to treat us in willful stubbornness. Stubborn Christian is a contradictory term. One of the many ways a person can be stubborn with communication is by their refusal, for example, to say, I'm sorry. This is stubborn or self-centered unwillingness. A person who will not communicate by saying, I'm sorry, 
when they did something wrong, or they refused to confess obvious sins, or they refused to pursue a spouse's constructive observations about them, rather than engaging and enacting, uh, engaging and interacting, communicating, they choose stubbornness or self-centered unwillingness. You see, spouses know many things about their partners. What is known and could be shared is invaluable information. But if one spouse is stubborn in their communication and is not pursuing the other through humble question asking, that spouse would miss out on this huge, major means of sanctifying grace that God has brought through the other spouse. Stubbornness is a communication inhibitor. Here's another one, apathy. Now, it would be helpful. When you think about the word apathy, I, I would appeal to you to immediately retranslate that word biblically. It, it is always helpful to use biblical Bible language when thinking about categories. Apathy is not a sound Bible category, though you can see this attitude in the personalities of the Bible. But a more biblically precise descriptor than apathy would be the word hatred. Hatred is a good synonym for apathy. For apathy and hatred, actually, that is a Bible word. You see, an apathetic person is acting out what the Bible would understand as hatred. Apathy is an I-don't-care attitude, which is not a passive or neutral posture. It is an active attitude that follows the lines of hatred or follows the lines of a lack of love. If you don't actively love me, you are actively hating me, even if, you won't, even if you want to dress it up by calling it apathy. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. This will be helpful. If my son was in a traffic accident and, and was dying on the roadside, and I, I walked by and I said, I don't care if you're dying, that would be hatred. And though not as physically damning as the illustration that I just used here, but not to speak into someone else's life is also a form of selfish hate. And so you refuse to engage them and to speak into their life because you're apathetic. It's really a form of biblical hatred. And so one communication inhibitor is stubbornness. Another inhibitor is apathy. A third one, which I'm sure you already discerned, is anger. This attitude of the heart is, is not as sanitized as apathy. See, we could say we're apathetic and kind of feel good about ourselves because, again, we're not going to translate it biblically, and it doesn't sound that bad when left as such, apathy. But the heart attitude of anger is much different. It is hate acted out. I'm not speaking so much about exaggerated forms of anger that you may understand as road rage or, or physical murder or physical abuse but about the softer forms of anger, like the silent treatment. One of the most popular infographics on our website is called the Anger Spectrum. And when I teach in, in different conferences, this is the one that people will remember as much and more than any other graphic. And I have it here in this article so that you can look at it, because the truth is anger is on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is physical murder that I, I talked about, and that is the worst-case scenario. If you push anger as far as you can push it to one end, well, as far as you can push it is physical murder. 
But you see, Christians don't deal, uh, don't kill people. That's not something that we do. And so what we will do is we'll choose other forms of anger. And, and one of those other forms of anger is called the silent treatment. And in one sense, in one sense, they both accomplish a, a similar goal. You see, murder, physical murder says, you do not exist because I removed you from this world. Silent treatment says, you do not exist because I removed you from my mind. In both cases, there is willful, imposed silence. Now, I am well aware that there are consequential differences between physical murder and silent treatment. That's not the point. The consequences is not the point. Either one of these sins would put Christ on the cross. And so in that sense, they are equal. As sophisticated Christians, we can live for years with this kind of low-grade anger or non-communication. And we can even justify our anger, silent treatment, murder, because we're not acting like some of the people we hear about through the news. You may even say it this way. Well, at least I haven't killed anyone. That can be our self-righteous retort. But this response is a proud person who is hiding behind his quietness and justifying himself with false humility while harboring anger toward another person made in God's image. Unremoved hostilities can kill a marriage, even if those hostilities are as sanitized as silent treatment. And so anger is without a question a communication inhibitor and And just one more time, when you think about anger, I'm not talking about the more volatile forms of anger, though that is very real in many relationships. Many marriages that are listening to this podcast now are experiencing currently the loud, volatile anger. But there's also this subtle anger that can look like something like silent treatment. Both, whether it's physical murder or silent treatment, it is a form of hostility, and it will kill a marriage. Anger is a communication inhibitor, so is apathy, and so is stubbornness. Here's a fourth one, fear. This is typically a motivator that that I cannot fully develop here in this podcast. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one angle of this potentially life-dominating sin. Fear is is a code word for a person mired in self-absorbed thinking. A fearful person is not a trusting person because fear negates trust. Those two things can't exist in the same container. You're either trusting or you are fearful, but one will win the day always. And and so fear is code for a person mired in self-absorbed thinking. They're not outward thinking, as in trusting in the Lord. A fearful person is more focused on their interest rather than God's. God says, trust. Jesus asked Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water with him in Matthew 14. Peter, at the moment, was all about himself in that boat, wrapped up in fear When he repented of his fear, he did get out of the boat, and he walked with God on the water. If he had decided to stay on the boat, twisting and paralyzing fear, he would have chosen the way of self rather than the way of God. 
Fear is a foundational sin that can manifest itself in many ways. And one of those ways is a sinful desire not to experience exposure by communicating your thoughts to others. That's a way of saying a person who struggles with the fear of man, that they're more controlled by the opinions of other people or what they perceive the opinions of other people are, rather than being controlled by God. And so fear is a sinful desire. Here's an illustration of it, of the person who doesn't want to experience exposure by communicating their thoughts openly to another person. A teen, a teenager could be tempted to fear others by choosing not to stand according to her or his beliefs, like within a public school system. A husband could be tempted to fear by not being vulnerable before his wife. In both cases of the teenager not communicating, sharing their beliefs within a a public school system, or the husband who is not willing to be vulnerable before his wife, in both cases, the fear trumps gospel communication. Now, again, there's many angles that you can take on fear, and this is not a podcast about fear. But if you do have a question because you're bound up in fear and you want to talk about it, then please go to our free public forums and jump on there and ask your question. And we'd be more than glad to give you some direction and give you some resources that you can study and reflect upon, pray through with, and share with others. And so this is not a full treatment on fear, but we can get you some help if you're really bound by it. But without question, fear is one of those communication inhibitors. So I've talked about stubbornness and apathy and anger and fear. Here's the fifth one, ignorance. A person can be willfully ignorant of God and his ways, even though he may be a Christian. I remember when God first regenerated me, there was so much that I was ignorant about. And that which I have come to know over the past 30-something years, it, it just makes me that much more aware of what I don't know. And so ignorance is a real thing, and it's not a, a harsh critique of any of us, but we're all ignorant to varying degrees, and a person could be ignorant to this idea of how their communication or lack of communication is impacting their life. It hasn't occurred as to how their lack of communication is hurting their family. The power of words or the lack of words never registers with this individual. Let's say when the dad's daughter, for example, and it could be mom as well, but when the dad's daughter, who, who has been waiting for 10 years to experience love, nurture, affection, and care by his kind, loving, and wise words, becomes pregnant. And he's clueless. Why did you do that? He doesn't see how she waited and hoped until there was no more hope, just wanting somebody to care about her. A young man came along and swept her off her feet. She was an angry teenager looking for love in large part because of a dad who who was so into himself and ignorant of the damage he was causing due to his lack of words. I don't want you to read into this or to hear into this that I'm blaming him because she chose to get pregnant, but there is culpability here because of his shaping influence through the power of his words or the lack of his words. Similarly, a dad wakes up one day to a rebellious teen son who is full of anger and is now shopping his affection in video games, drugs, girls, sports, work, or whatever he can find for a a fraction of encouragement. And there are many teenage boys and girls. They are shopping their affection. He is reacting in anger toward his non-encouraging, harsh, or non-speaking dad. 
And then the last communication inhibitor is arrogance. The code word for this sin is self-righteousness. Though all of the characteristics that I've mentioned so far are born out of self-righteousness. This person looks down his nose toward others. He has a greater than, better than attitude. There, there are just certain people that he doesn't like, and he's not going to communicate to them. Arrogance is a huge communication inhibitor. And so, for example, he isolates himself from his culture because he's angry at what's going on in his culture. Or maybe many times he selects a, a group of people that he chooses to hate. Let's say that he loves thin people, active people, as opposed to obese people. And so he doesn't communicate with obese people trying to help them. Let's say that he likes heterosexual people but harbors a disgust toward gay people. Guess what? His arrogance will inhibit him from being redemptive toward gay people. He prefers those who can engage in deep talk, but he resents shallow conversations. That is another, his arrogance, again, is keeping him from interacting with the superficial people in his world. His sin can be more insidious as he withholds his loving and encouraging words from his family. Because of unresolved traces of bitterness in his life, arrogance is a communication inhibitor. According to him, they have not changed to meet his expectations and his preferences. So I've just given you six communication inhibitors, arrogance, ignorance, fear, anger, apathy, and stubbornness. And perhaps you can add to the list, but any of these will keep a person from talking redemptively. I want to finish this podcast by giving a brief note to the talkers in the world and a brief note to the non-talkers in, in our relationships. But first, a note to the talker. How is your heart right now? Are you tempted to think of someone you know who is like what I have described as I was sharing these things your mind was just going through your your index of people that you know and you landed on somebody are you married to such a person did I describe your parent your friend or some other relationship if you're tempted to sin as you reflect on the non-talkers in your life I want to remind you of the gospel Christ came to save sinners, and, and you're one of those sinners that he came to save. You're no different from your non-talking friend. Please listen to that statement carefully. You're no different from your non-talking friend. Yes, your non-talking friend needs help, but you won't be able to help if you are not guarding your heart because you're sinning against them, because you don't like the way they are. Your friend may not be meeting your expectations but he is not the only one who put Christ on the cross. It was because of your sin, it was because of my sin, that, that the God-haters nailed Christ to the tree 2,000 years ago. If I am the worst sinner that I know, which I am, I can refocus at this moment and love my sinning friend, my sinning non-talking friend, in a way that Christ loved me. The best way to help a non-communicator is by communicating as God would talk to him, not by being angry at him. And so you have that person in your mind as I was going through this podcast, and you're tempted to be angry at them because they're not communicating or they're communicating poorly in the relationship. The best way to help this person is by communicating as God would talk to them. Find a way to share your heart with real and practical observations that you have. This humble response is what God did to you. 
God's words began to penetrate your heart. In time, your heart was open to the gospel, and you began to change a note to talkers. And now I want to give a a closing note to the non-talkers in the room. You'll need to determine if you're going to imitate God in this crucial area of your life. Again, Ephesians 5.1, as beloved children, imitate God. You'll have to determine. Are, are you going to imitate this communicable attribute that God has given to us, this ability to speak to others? I'm not asking you to become a talking head. That's not the, that's not the answer. You're not going to be a talking head if, if that's not your personality. Going from non-talker to talkers doesn't mean you're, you're supposed to be the life of the party. I'm merely appealing to you to repent. You can talk this choice you must make. You'll need to decide if the gospel will motivate you. Christ was your first missionary. He came to your dark place to change you, to make you better than what you were. He spoke the gospel into your life. If you refuse to talk while calling yourself a Christian, you are mocking the very gospel that you claim to hold dear. The gospel is not about others. Communication, I'm sorry, the gospel is about others. Take the knot out of there. Communication is one way you can model the other-centeredness of the gospel in the lives of other people. Communicating is not about what you get out of the conversation primarily, but about what you can invest in the conversation. Withholding your words is an act of unkindness. Will you go? Will you talk? Will you imitate our speaking God today? The title of the podcast, How Can I Get My Husband to Talk More? or any other name that you want to insert right there. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.